please take your Bibles and turn to me at this time to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 13 through 16. Our message series is called Lessons from a Growing Church. We're seeing what lessons we can learn as a church uh, from this growing church uh, here in Thessalonica. Today we come to a very important lesson for any church. You may have already seen the title of today's message, How to Listen to a Sermon. It's like, have you ever thought about that? How do you listen to a sermon? Well, we're going to find out this morning. So we're in 1 Thessalonians 2, and uh, we'll begin by just reading verse 13 together. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and just verse 13. Paul writes, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as we uh, listen to a sermon today on how to listen to a sermon, I pray, God, that you would open our hearts and open our ears and that we would uh, hear truths that we need to hear today, things that will help us today and in the future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, there are plenty of books out there that will tell you how to prepare a sermon or how to deliver a sermon, but you don't hear a whole lot about how to listen to a sermon. I like what one person said when they saw the title to this week's message. They said, here's my answer. Stay awake. And I said, you know what? That's a good start, isn't it? You know, there, there are a lot of jokes about people falling asleep during sermons. My favorite one is uh, about the person who fainted during the sermon. So they called 911, and the paramedics arrived, and, and they, they took out six people before they found the right one. <laughs> or from the world of statistics, research has shown that if all the people who sleep in church were laid end to end, they would be a lot more comfortable. <laughs> You know, people sometimes complain that sermons are dry, they're boring, it's hard to listen. I like the story about the visiting preacher. And uh, he was greeting people after the service. Most of the people had good comments, but then this one woman came up to him, just looked at him, and she said, too long. She marched right on by, and then she turned around got back in line again. Marched right up to him, looked at him, and said, too loud. Turned around again, came back in third time. She said, too boring! Marched on her way. Preacher didn't know what to think. One of the deacons came over and said, Pastor, Pastor, don't pay any attention to her, okay? She doesn't mean anything. She just says, she's got this bad habit. She repeats what everyone else is saying. (laughs) So why does preaching get such a bad rap? Why do people think that sermons are dull and boring, all right? This is God's word we're talking about, right? Nothing should be more thrilling or challenging than to hear a message from God's word. So what's the problem? Well, I'll confess, sometimes it is the preacher's fault, okay? Sometimes we preachers can focus too much on the then and there rather than the here and now. Sometimes we don't always do a good job of connecting the scriptures to people's everyday life. Sometimes we're just boring. I'm so sorry. Sometimes it's the preacher's fault, but not always, okay? The preacher can be well prepared, revved up, 
ready to go. He can preach the word of God accurately and passionately from the heart. And the listener can still walk away unmoved, unchanged. What happened? Well, hate to break it to you, but sometimes it's the listener's fault, right? The listener did not do a good job of listening to the sermon. Let me tell you a secret this morning, okay? Here you go. If you know how to listen, you can always, always get something out of a sermon. You know, a powerful sermon has often rescued a weak listener, but a good listener has often rescued a weak sermon. No preacher ever does full justice to the Word of God. Sometimes we get closer than other times, but a good listener can always get something out of any sermon. Now, of course, the the ideal combination would be you know, both powerful preaching and good listening, right? You put that together, now you're, you're clicking. But this morning, we're not going to focus so much on the preacher's responsibility, because that's not where our text goes, but on the listener's responsibility. How do you listen to a sermon? And Paul's answer to this is so simple. He said, you should listen to a sermon, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Not as the word of men, but as the word of God. And when you do that, that makes all the difference in the world. You say, well, how do I listen to a sermon that way? We're going to look at three things from our passage today on how to listen to a sermon in this way. There's an outline in your bulletin and your worship guide if you'd like to take that out and follow along. But here are three points. Number one, come accepting the word of God as the word of God. Number two, come expecting God's word to work in your life. And number three, come ready to change. Okay? Those are the three things. Here we go. First of all, come accepting the word of God as the word of God. Let's go back to verse 13 again now. Paul writes, and we also thank God continually. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is. The word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Paul begins here by giving thanks. This is the second time he's given thanks for the Thessalonians. He did it back in chapter 1. He does it here in chapter 2. He'll do it a third time in chapter 3. He just can't stop thanking God for this growing church. Back in chapter 1, he thanked God for the results of the gospel in their lives. Now he thanks God for how the Thessalonians received the word, how they listened to the message. They received the word of God, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. Now, the Thessalonians did not hear God's voice directly, right? What they heard, okay, what they heard was Paul and his companions speaking to them. But as Paul and his companions spoke, they recognized the true source of the message. This was not the word of men. This was a word which truly came from God. All true preaching of God's word is prophetic. Preaching stands in a long line of prophetic communication from God to man. Our God is a God who speaks to us. He's not distant. He's not silent, far removed. He spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. He spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. He spoke to Israel through the prophets. He spoke to all of us through the sending of his son, Jesus. And he continues to speak to the church today through the preaching of the word. 
Preaching is God's word spoken to man through man. And so when you listen to the preaching of God's word, you should not dismiss it as merely the word of men. It is the word of God. We do not stand over God's word to criticize it or question or judge it. No, we stand under the authority of God's word to receive and obey it. Why? Because it's his word. It comes from God. We accept the message as it actually is. Preaching is God's word spoken to man, oh boy, through man. Okay, that's where we get into a little bit of a problem here, right? God never makes mistakes, right? But sometimes we do, right? Sometimes people do. So, big question here, must we accept all preaching at all times as the word of God? Is Paul saying every time someone stands up to speak, we should just accept what they say is coming from God? Well, no, because the scriptures teach us that we should accept preaching as the word of God only when that preaching is faithful to the written word of God. In fact, God tells us to test everything by the written word. Even the Old Testament prophets, God commanded the Israelites, test them. We read in Deuteronomy 13 that if a prophet spoke against God's written word, not only do you not believe him, he was to be put to death as a false prophet. When Paul gave instructions to the Corinthians about New Testament prophecy, he told them, 1 Corinthians 14, 29, he said, weigh everything, weigh carefully what is said. And we're going to get to chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians uh, you know, you know, next month or thereafter, and Paul's going to tell the Thessalonians this, Chapter 5, 21, he's going to say, test everything. Hold on to the good. You know, when we started this series, we looked at Acts 17. That's where Paul first visited the Thessalonians. And then we saw that Paul got driven out of Thessalonica. He goes to the next city, Berea. And we read about them in Acts 17, 11. Marvelous verse. It says, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Thessalonians are doing great, but the Bereans did better. Why? For they received the message with great eagerness, and here's the point, they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So yeah, Paul was thankful that the Thessalonians received his message as the word of God, but apparently they didn't do their homework. They they didn't do as good a job of testing the message against scripture as the Bereans did. Now, it turned out all right because Paul was truly preaching to them the word of God. But what if he hadn't? What if he'd been a false teacher? Just passing through, they might have been deceived. You see, God does not commend the naive acceptance of whatever anyone happens to get up and preach. God tells you to weigh it carefully. Test it against scripture. Hold on to the good. Get rid of the bad. The preacher's authority is not his pulpit. No, his authority is his faithful adherence to the written word of God. However, when God's written word is preached faithfully, how do you accept it? Not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And that brings us to our second point in your outline now. First, you come accepting the word of God as the word of God, Now, secondly, you come expecting, expecting God's word to go to work in your life. Look at the end of verse 13 now. 
Here Paul speaks of uh, God's word. He says, it's the word of God which is at work in you who believe. When you listen to a sermon, you should expect God's word to make an impact. You should come with that attitude uh, that was expressed by the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Come expecting to see wonderful things in God's word. Perhaps you've noticed a pattern in scripture. When God speaks, stuff happens. You ever notice that? When God speaks, things happen. God's word is creative. God speaks in Genesis 1-3, let there be light. What happens? And there was light. God's word is powerful. Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah says, It's not my word like fire, declares the Lord, like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. God's word is piercing. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God says in Isaiah 55, a marvelous passage, A beautiful picture here. He says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return to it without first watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Have you ever seen rain or snow come down from the sky, get about five feet off the ground and say, nah, turn around and go back up again? I've never seen that. Have you ever seen that? You know, that's, that's what God's saying. He says, As the rain and snow never do that. They make it all the way down and they make a difference. God's word does the same thing. God accomplishes his purposes in our lives through the preaching of his word. And that's why Paul says here, he says, this is the word of God which is at work in you who believe. It's God's word, it's God's word that does the work. All you've got to do is believe and accept what God says. And when you believe, God's word goes to work in your life. The word that Paul uses for work here uh, is almost always used in the New Testament of a supernatural work, supernatural activity. It's mostly used of God working in or through someone, usually in a miraculous fashion. It speaks of God's effectual working, his mighty power at work in those who believe. And you who believe here in the original uh, languages is, are those who continually believe. In other words, Paul's not talking about some decision you made in the past. No, he's talking about your faith right now in the present. Faith operating continually. In other words, God's word continues to work in you as you continue to receive it in faith, believing. If you want to make the most of God's word in your life, how do you listen to a sermon? You come with this attitude of expectancy expecting God's word to work. So you come accepting the word of God as the word of God. You come expecting God's word to work in your life. And now number three, you come ready to change. Ready to change. The purpose of preaching is not simply to impart biblical information. The purpose of preaching is to change lives. To change lives. And so you come ready to make changes in your own life as God directs, as God reveals truth to you through his word. 
Look at verses 14 through 16 with me now. Really the most difficult verses in our passage today. We're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking these verses. Paul writes, For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God they are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Let's talk our way through these verses. First of all, I want you to notice the main theme here is the Thessalonians came ready to change. They changed when they heard the word of God. Paul says they became imitators of the churches in Judea. Well, what was happening to the churches in Judea? Well, yeah, they, were, they were experiencing persecution. The Thessalonican church was mostly Gentile. The churches in Judea were mostly Jewish. And so the churches in Judea were suffering incredible persecution at the hands of their fellow Jews. And because of that, Paul says some really strong things here, okay? Some hard things about these Jews who were persecuting believers. So strong, in fact, that some people have even accused Paul of being anti-Semitic in these verses. Of course, you think about it, that doesn't make any sense because Paul's Jewish, okay? So he's not being anti-Semitic. He's Jewish. He's writing to a church that's partly Jewish, okay? Elsewhere in his writings, Paul uh, uh, grieves for the non-believing Jews, and, and he wishes that he himself could be cursed and cut off from Christ for their sake. So no, Paul is not against the Jewish people. He's not condemning the Jewish people as a whole or even all non-believing Jews. Rather, he was condemning those Jews who actively opposed the spread of the gospel, those who opposed God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, his son. And he brings a, a whole list of accusations against these particular Jews. First of all, he says that they killed Jesus. He says they killed Jesus. Now, technically, it was the Romans who killed Jesus, right? But the Jewish leaders and the crowds uh, were the ones who called for his death. In fact, they even told Paul, they said, we take the responsibility, put it on us. Now, of course, in another sense, we're all guilty of Christ's death. Why? Because Jesus died for sinners, and what are we? Sinners. So we're all guilty of that. But that's, that's his first thing he brings up. He says they killed Jesus. Next, he says they also killed the prophets. He's certainly speaking of the Old Testament prophets here. May also be speaking of some of the New Testament prophets. Jesus spoke in his parables about how the Jews killed the prophets before him. Stephen, in the book of Acts, the church's first martyr, cried out to the Jewish leaders at his own death. He said, was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? And so the killing of Jesus was just a continuation of the same attitude shown to the prophets before him. Paul says, they drove us out. And boy, you just, that's the history of the book of Acts. You just read through the book of Acts. And, you know, first they, they drive him out of Damascus and then out of Jerusalem and then out of Antioch and Iconium. They follow him to Lystra. And there they stone him, leave him for dead. He picks himself up, goes to Thessalonica. They drive him out of Thessalonica. They follow him to Berea. They stir up more trouble. Now Paul's at Corinth. That's where he's writing this letter. He's being attacked all over again. He says, they drove us out. He says, they displeased God. Well, that's an understatement. I mean, after all this stuff, of course it's displeasing to God. And Paul knows what he's talking about here from personal experience. 
Because remember, Paul himself had been a persecutor of Christians. Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus. He spoke to him in a vision. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul said, well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. They displease God with their persecution. Finally, Paul says, they are all hostile. They are hostile to all men. Basically, Paul here declares them enemies of humanity. Well, that's a pretty strong condemnation. Why? Just because they're Jews, Paul? No, because they opposed the spread of the gospel. In other words, anyone who tries to stop the spread of the gospel is an enemy of humanity because it's only through the gospel that we can be saved. Notice Paul says they even tried to stop him from speaking to the Gentiles. Okay, it was bad enough you know, stopping him from speaking to fellow Jews, but now they won't even let him talk to other people as well. What Paul says here is similar to what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 13. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. And Paul closes out this, this whole complex section by saying, in this way they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. In their efforts to keep Paul from sharing the gospel, these Jewish persecutors have filled up the full measure of their sins. God's wrath hangs over their heads, ready to fall at any time. It is a powerful condemnation. And yet remember, Paul means no disrespect to the Jewish people as a whole. Remember, this is all part of a comparison he is making. So let's bring it back into the message now. The Thessalonians are suffering from their own countrymen the same thing that the Judeans are suffering from the Jews. Their own countrymen for the Thessalonian means their fellow Thessalonians, a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, but predominantly Gentile. The main point here, let's bring it back now, is that the Thessalonians have changed. They've changed. They heard the word of God and they changed. Just like the Jewish Christians in Judea changed. Let's face it, if they hadn't changed, they they wouldn't be persecuted, right? There'd be no need to persecute them. But they no longer fit in with their society. They were swimming against the stream. They suffered persecution not from outside their ranks, but from their own countrymen, their fellow citizens. When you listen to the preaching of God's word, you must come ready to change. Because the whole purpose of preaching is to change lives. The Thessalonians came not only ready to change, they came ready and willing to make costly changes in their lives. For them, accepting the word of God meant extreme persecution from their own countrymen. And yet they were willing to endure anything for the higher calling of obedience to God's word. They came ready to change. So let's pause for a moment. We still have a ways to go in the message. I, I know it looks like your outline is over, but there's, there's still a whole application. So we still got a ways to go, but let's pause just for a moment. How do you rate yourself this morning as a listener to sermons? As you look at these three principles, how are you doing? Do you come accepting God's word as God's word, as the word of God? 
Do you come Sunday mornings expecting, expecting God's word to work in your life? Do you come ready to change? And in closing, you'll see it in your outline now, I, I want to give you five suggestions that I believe will help you to apply these principles in your own life. These suggestions are not meant to be taken legalistically, but I believe they will help you to apply those three principles we just looked at. So ready, here we go. Five practical suggestions that will make you a better listener of sermons. Number one, prepare. Prepare. Just as the pastor prepares before delivering the sermon, God's people should prepare to listen. That means preparing spiritually, prepare your heart throughout the week, be in the word of God, be in prayer. It means preparing physically, get plenty of rest the night before, just as you would for any important event in your life, get plenty of rest. Come prepared to hear the word of God, come prayerfully asking God to speak to your heart, come expectantly anticipating God's word to work powerfully in your life. Remember, God can speak to you through the weakest sermon if you come ready to listen. Number one, prepare. Number two, open your Bible. Open your Bible. Read along as the pastor reads the text. I, I know we put the scriptures up here on the screen. That's, that's to help you along, and especially if we're jumping from one to another where it might be hard. Um, but certainly when we open up the text, let's, let's open and, and read along. And I would suggest you bring your own Bible if you've got one. It's just so much more personal. If you forget or you don't have one, use the one in the pew, or we'll get you one if you don't have one. But bring your own Bible. I make it a point to open my Bible every chance I get, okay? Whether uh, it's a sermon or whether someone's just leading a brief devotion, they mention a verse, I want to open up and get there. Or if I'm in a Sunday school class, or even if the teacher calls on someone else to look up a verse, you know, so-and-so, you look that up, I, want, I look it up along with them. I want my Bible open. Okay, so reality check here. How many of you opened your Bibles when we read from Psalm 119 earlier in the service? You don't have to raise your hand. Although I saw some hands go up, so that's good. How many of you opened up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16 when we read this morning's text? Open your Bible when you listen to a sermon. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort. Take you less than 30 seconds. We even give you the page number. Open your Bible. It makes a big difference. Okay, number three. Keep your Bible open. Keep it open. Don't just open it when the preacher reads the text. Keep it open. Continue to follow along as the pastor preaches. Check what he says with the passage that's before you. Follow the example of the noble Bereans who tested everything against Scripture. If your Bible's not open, how can you test what the preacher is saying? Okay, reality check again. How many of you have your Bibles open right now? I know, stepping on some toes this morning. Preachers are allowed to do that from time to time. You know, I remember the church I grew up in where people had learned to open their Bibles. They learned to keep them open. But you know what? They closed their Bibles too soon. I can still remember it as a kid. The pastor would start winding down the message. You always know when the pastor's winding down, right? Start winding down, and you would hear all across the sanctuary. Papers down. You'd hear purses being put together, zippers going. Pastor's still preaching, right? Pastor's still preaching. Everyone else is packing up and getting ready to go. 
Don't stop before the preacher does, okay? Follow it through. Pay attention. Now, granted, sometimes we preachers can get long-winded. We go too long. Give it your best. I like the family circus cartoon where the family's in church. The preacher obviously has been going on a while. And the little girl turns to her mom and asks, How much longer until we go with home? <laughs> Saw another cartoon where one preacher went on so long. The Domino's pizza guy, pizza guy was delivering in the sanctuary. <laughs> Keep your Bibles open. Follow along. Test the sermon against scripture. Don't stop listening before the preacher stops preaching. And guess what? I got two more points to go, so don't hang in with me, okay? Keep going with me as we go here. Number four, take notes. Take notes. Now, some people take really detailed notes. I've been amazed at some of the notes people have shown me. They almost write down everything the preacher says. Others just try to outline the sermon, although we, we, we try to outline it for you to help you with that. Others just write down key phrases or concepts that God speaks to their heart. But the key here is to interact with the message, right? To be an active listener. And for most people, that's why we're not legalistic with this, for most people, taking notes is the best way to do it. Let me give you three quick reasons why it's uh, good reasons for taking notes. First of all, taking notes will keep you alert and help you follow the message. Great reason to take notes right there. Secondly, taking notes will help you to remember the message later, to recall things later. President Calvin Coolidge came home from church one Sunday. His wife asked him, what was the message about today? And he was a man of few words, and so he said, sin. (laughs) And his wife asked, well, what did he say about it? I think he was against it. When you go to church on Sunday, can you remember what the pastor preached about the week before? Or how about when you wake up on Monday morning? Can you remember what the, pa- what the preacher preached the day before? Okay, I'm going to make it real easy for you. When you go to lunch on Sunday, <laughs> after this, hopefully you remember what the preacher said, right? Well, write it down and you will remember And then a third reason for taking notes is so you can pass on what you have learned to others. You know what? A lot of the things I share with you on Sunday mornings, a lot of the stuff I teach, it's simply things I learned from other people. You go, well, how do you remember? It's because I wrote it down. (laughs) I wrote it down and put it somewhere so I could take it out again when I needed it. And so you can share with other people. And that's another reason we give you these outlines. So you can take these outlines and share them with other people as well and share God's word. The point here is this. Don't lose what God speaks to you. That is such a precious thing. When you're in church and a pastor is preaching God's word and God speaks to you, don't lose that. That is so precious. Make a habit of taking notes when you listen to a sermon. I recommend that you get a small notebook or journal specifically for your sermon notes. Bring it each Sunday. At the top, of you, you'd write down the speaker's name, the, the date, the, t- the title, and text of the message, and then jot things down as, as the pastor preaches. When you open up the next Sunday, you say, oh, that's what the pastor preached last Sunday. I actually remember now. Why? Because I wrote it down. It will do wonders for your listening. Okay, one more. Number five. So important. Make application to your life. Now, The preacher's supposed to do that for you, okay? That's part of our job. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. That's what we're taking the last, these final 10 minutes of the sermon to do is to make application. 
But if the preacher doesn't, make sure that you do. It's real simple. I put it on the bottom of your outline so you can have it with you. You simply ask God, Lord, how do you want my life to be different this week after hearing this message? You just ask God that. God, how do you want my life to be different this week after hearing this message? Then write that down and then make that a prayer request. Ask God to help you make the change. Remember, sermons are not about information. They are all about godly change. Don't come to church singing just as I am and then leave just as you came, okay? When God's word is faithfully preached, we should give our utmost attention. Jesus said, to whom much has been given, much will be required. Folks, if you have been blessed to sit under the regular preaching of God's word, to hear God's word preached week in and week out, then you have been given much and God will require much from you. In closing, and this really is my final closing this time, okay? <laughs> Hear the words of our Lord Jesus from Luke 8, 18. Where Jesus said, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the blessed privilege we have to hear your word preached, not just this Sunday, but week in and week out. There are people in areas of the world who who do not have this. And oh, oh Lord, how they are, are just so thrilled when they have an opportunity to sit under the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that today's message will bring life change to each one of us. Lord, I pray that we will never listen to another sermon the same way. That we will take these principles home with us. We will ask that question, Lord, how do you want my life to be different after hearing this message? We'll write it down. We'll ask you to help make that change. And Lord, I pray that we will get so much, so much out of your word in the future. Even those weak and, and, and maybe long and maybe a little dry or boring sermons, because we're good listeners, you will speak to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.